Hi, I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Jubert Wynn heads up Waterford Estate Sales and Marketing. He's Scottish, he's gorgeous, he's fun, he's clever. He certainly does have insights for all of us that we need to know about in the wine industry. We spend some time chatting to him. Take a listen. Well, today I'm catching up with, with Damien Jubert Wynn. He's the head of sales and marketing for Waterford Winery. Damien, hello. Thanks for joining us on Kerry's Corner. Pleasure. Thanks for having me again. You better. You're up and firing on all cylinders and out of that COVID bed. <laughs> yeah. Um, the most odd. You'll you'll know as well. Most odd illness. You um you experience different symptoms every day, and it feels like parts of your body are being attacked at different times. So no sooner have you got over one thing, but then it's moved somewhere else and it's attacking something else. So. I, I was fortunate in that I didn't have breathlessness and I, my lungs were fine, but but the other symptoms were they were quite severe. Yeah, no, you. I mean, I also I keep on going back to it. It sort of attacks the soft tissue of your body. It feels like you've been in a car accident, eh? Yeah, it does feel like you're battered and bruised a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Mm. I'm so pleased you're better and back at work. And good enough to talk to me for Fine Music Radio and Biz News and Carrie's Corner tonight. So, thank you. D, lots of things that I'm busy doing at the moment, and one of them is to try and paint the wine industry in a much more positive, happier, brilliant light. Because we've got a generation of young people coming up through the ranks who I think we should be reminding of how do I put this so that it's politically correct? I think that they need to be reminded of how much hard work it is. It's not just pure privilege. It's not just um, inherit a farm from gran or grandpa and move on. I want everybody to be excited about the industry, but to understand that it takes ingenuity, intellect, lots of elbow grease, lots of long hours. And who better to speak to you? about all of this than you. You've done it both here and overseas. Let's do a little bit of background on Damien Jaberwin. Tell us where you were born, Dee. So, so, <laughs> so I'm born in a small town in, in Scotland called Falkirk. And Falkirk is famous for Hadrian's Wall, which is um, a national heritage site. Um, it is famous for... Um, Iron Brew, 
which is uh, which is uh, oh really is that where Iron Brew comes from? Apparently so. There's a big plaque in the centre of town telling you so. But actually, my family are 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 um, in and around Edinburgh, and then outside uh, is Stirling, and that's another small town actually. So, um, and and leading back to the 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 point that you just made, in that um, the wine trade isn't just for the fortunate, the privileged, etc. My family um, were coal merchants in Falkirk. Um, they were uh, Campbell's coal merchants. Uh, my mother was a teacher. My father worked in the oil industry. Both of them loved wine, um, but I'm not from, mm. uh, um, you know, wine. Massive um, privilege. <laughs> I mean, uh, our family have some family dairy farms in in, um, in Europe, but but really very humble, um, humble in that approach as opposed to this approach. Yeah, this really this approach that we have to the wine industry, which is um, is of of uh, immense wealth and. Um, immense privilege and immense tit- entitlement, etc. It, it's it's uh, it really is um, a dream come true for me to be working uh, in the winelands, and um, and it, it offers the most. Uh, listen, there's there's not hell of a lot of money in this industry. Um, however, there no. is such wonder when you work in it. You have the ability to travel. You have the ability to taste and and dine in the most exquisite environments. You meet the most incredible people mm. like yourself, um, and uh, and pro- you know uh, producers and owners and and um, and you have you know you get sight of such um, incredible uh, wealth and and without judgment, without greed, without jealousy, um, you 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 almost enjoy the best of it without without having to um to feel as if you're not part of the old establishment yes i agree and to go back to that to go back to those spaces of enormous wealth and privilege and there are many of them in europe and in south africa and in napa everywhere it would appear that everybody that the the wine industry um is this very opulent space because i think people who there are, two, there are two schools of thought. First of all, there, there's some families who've been in it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so you do expect to build up wealth and, and favor with, with you know, the drinking classes, etc. if you've been at the game for that long. And you do hope that your business is successful enough to actually become a big business over a couple of centuries. So we can't deny anybody that. But I think the other part of it that you're saying is that we're moving into a place now and it's more in line with the role that you play at Waterford, which is marketing and sales, where very successful um, actors, hip-hop artists, um, designers, people who are out there and influencing the way people think about the world, what they drink, what they eat, what they wear – they are starting to put their names to alcohol brands and not least of which wine brands, champagne brands. And the effect of this is absolutely mind-blowingly, staggeringly big. I mean, if you have a look at the story of of Armand de Brignac, the champagne, which we all know of sort of affectionately as the Ace of Spades, 
Moet have actually bought that. LVMH have actually bought that brand back now. But um, it really is sending out this message to the world that is not necessarily correct. The wine world I come from is one of really hard work. So let's let's get back to that basic. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't deny um, that the influencers um, who have taken a brand and uh, and and taking it from you know, zero, um, you know, Armin de Brignac um, really uh, came from nowhere um, and was devised because of that uh, relationship with Cristal, which they eroded. And, um, and, and, and now is, is, you know, a super successful brand. But, um, you know, in the olden days, there was a lot of, um, a lot of judgment placed around that product. You know, lots of people were saying, well, it's only Premier Crew grapes, not Grand Cru, etc." You know, and, and I don't think anybody actually knew anything about what was actually in the juice. And uh, when it first came out, I was incredibly, I also had this attitude and uh, <laughs> looking at the brand going, geez, it's quite shiny. Um, and then Yancis Robinson wrote an article about it, which, um, which said, it's actually not, it's not, not that bad. It's actually pretty good juice. And so then suddenly everybody sort of said, started looking at it. And going, I must tell you that the Blanc de Blanc, the Blanc de Blanc is absolutely brilliant. I loved it. So I think everybody was sort of happy to sort of jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, this is not going to, it's all just a great big sort of PR story. But that being aside, I think if you don't have the money to put, um, a Jay-Z or a somebody behind your brand to make it fly like that. Um, You, before you came to South Africa and joined Waterford, give us a little bit of a background. I mean, you were working with, with all kinds of brands, weren't you? Yeah, I was. So I I started in um, composite wholesale and, um, and that was back in 2003, four. And, um, and so I was looking after uh, composite wholesale is everything. I mean, that's, um, Wine, beer. Yes, like our retailers, like a Norman Goodfellows, yeah. So I was looking after that kind of stuff and I was looking after the wholesale side of that business at that point. And, um, but I knew that I had no interest really in beer and I had no interest in a product which doesn't change every year. There's no story about, um, the, the evolution and the harvest and the, um, temperate, the temperate climate. Uh, effect on vodka that that, that's not a thing (laughs) so so i I want to be part of that story and i want that evolve every year that that story was was something i lived and so wine was was the choice of course as i said my parents they were great wine drinkers um and so you know I, i grew up in quite a continental environment in that we we drank wine when i was young at dinner tables my parents allowed us to do that so we were exposed to these kind of things and um and when i when i've decided that it was the wine industry that i wanted to specialize in rather than the obvious choice which would be whiskey um i um i started working for independent um wholesalers who brought in incredible brands um and so i got experience in um in that environment uh i got experience working in the on premier game for i was doing that about five or six years and um and successful in it um you know it's a it's a tough industry very very small margins you're being very modest you were extremely successful you 
Damien's being extremely modest about it. He came to South Africa with a very, very good reputation. And I don't think that, um, that Jeremy and Kevin would even have looked at you had you not come with a reputation like that. He is one of our sort of leaders in marketing and sales in top end product. And from that, moving to Waterford, D, um, Waterford is, I think, 23, 24 years old now. It is unique in that it is the only, I think, Italian-style architecture in the, in the Cape Winelands. There might be the odd little villa here or there, but on a large scale, it was really quite a ooh when, when it was built. Everybody, Nobody had seen a winery like that in South Africa before. Jeremy Auden and, um, and his wife, Lee, at the time, and Kevin and Heather Arnold, they put this whole thing together. 24 years later, it is a success story. You've been there for two, three years? Pro- four years. Jog my memory for me. Four, four years. years. Four years. And yeah. the sales, four years. Yeah, four the, years, yeah, the sales um, are impressive. The product is impressive. Mark the Little Winemaker is doing well. They've added things to their portfolio like um, they've got the um, what your old vines project. That's what it's called, the old vines project, where there's some fabulous wines. There's a story of the gem. If we're looking at Waterford in a bag of stories, what is the underlying punchline from Waterford that says, we want you to remember Waterford for this? Um I think we were pioneering and innovative in the in those days. Um, we were one of the first people. Well, the punchline flag, the, the, the punchline would be that we were the first ever flagship wine in this country. So the first ever super premium wine was our um, Waterford Estate, the Gem, named after Jeremy, uh, affectionately known to his friends as Gem. And so, and the mm. and the the story was always about that one wine. Um, and, and we've never deviated from that. Um, though we have a portfolio of wines, um, always the, the focus was to produce one wine and one wine which was world class and unique. And, um, and by doing that unique, um, approach, we planted 11 different red varietals, which in those days, in 1998, were fairly unheard of. Um, I think Kevin had had spent some time in America and Spain. Um, he was attracted to the Antinori guys and their story with the Super Tuscans and their sort of flying in the face of, of legality and, and, um, and opinion. And, um, and we did much the same in, in South Africa. We planted varietals like Tempranillo and, uh, Barbera, Sangiovese, Moved, uh, Grenache, now, um, Shiraz, Cab, Cab Fonk, um, amongst others. And we, um, and nobody had done those. Nobody had planted them. And nobody had certainly made a wine out of them. And um, I think a lot of people initially thought, God, it's going to be no. this mishmash of, of, of wine. And, and what has stood the test of time is that people uh, globally look at this wine as, as, uh, as iconic and as, uh, as a flagship wine from South Africa. Um, no, they have. And have you ever divulged to the public what's in there? <laughs> yes. It's not on the label, is it? But there's about it's in, it's in the inside of the box. So if you if you crack open the seal and then you lift the box, it has a, 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 the vintage story and it has the specific cuvee or the the makeup of that wine 
of that year. So it changes every year. I think the, the lowest uh, varietal amount um, has been six. The largest has been nine. We've never used all 11 um, varietals, which we have to choose and play from. Mm-hmm. But it, it is mm-hmm. it is very much like a Michelin star chef t- having all the ingredients in front of him. And, and never does he put all of them in unless he has to. He only ever puts in the 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 those are the spices or the, the yeah. ingredients that he needs to make that dish spectacular and and that's our approach to the gem you know it's so interesting i was chatting to anthony hamilton russell earlier i asked him a similar question about what he wanted his underlying sort of thrust to be at at hamilton russell and it's so interesting that you've echoed exactly what he has is that you look to be synonymous with one specific wine with one superb one one source of excellence um and i think that that's a message that we need to send out to the industry to anybody who's looking to get into it because i do think and i hope i mean the the sales buying and selling in the wine industry in the cape at the moment is enormous there are farms that are changing hands left right and center and i do think that we're entering a new era of of um, ownership and winemaking in in South Africa, please God. And I think that there's very definite, um, important messages to send out to people who think that they're going to slip into this little slipstream and start selling billions of cases of wine every year and, and become rich and famous. It's not the story. So I think one very important thing that people need to know about is focus. So focus on one specific um, ideal is really, really good. But while you're doing that, you need to make money, don't you? You need bread and butter. So you and, and the team have, have put together what you believe to be the best basket of goods from Waterford, which makes up things like Cabernet Sauvignon, which, for which you're really famous. It's, it's typical in the heart, in the sweet spot of Stellenbosch Cab. That must surely still be one of your big sellers. Yes, it does. It does incredibly well. Um, I must say that the, the domestic market has been a tougher, has been more toughly hit um, through COVID for that specific product than um, than the international market. Um, so, in in, in, um, in retailer and uh, in any of our distributors here, and because of the restaurant industry, it's a heavily on-trade focused wine as well. Because the, the restaurant industry has been hit so terribly, yes. we, we've seen a decline uh, in volume on that product mm. from last year or the year before, rather, 19 to to this year. Um, and that's that's uh, that's a challenge that we we must face. Um, it is a it's an international benchmark for Cabernets, um, particularly the Helderberg um, Stellenbosch style Cabernet. Our soils are incredibly different to, to the other Stellenbosch areas. Mm. So, um, so our, our wine, yeah. Um, yeah. rightly so, is also different to those Cabernets. So it's, a, it's, it's also um, all about terroir, indicative of, of where it's from, and, and that speaks to international and export markets. Um, it's very classic style. Kevin Arnold, yes. Kevin Arnold Shiraz does also incredibly well, and that's a brand in itself that has, um, or the Kevin Arnold Shiraz rather, that, that 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 stood the test of time. It was one of the brands we started with. It is uh, one of this this the serious um, um, success stories for the farm as well. Mm. And do you find now, obviously, I suppose, with 
people losing jobs, COVID, the sort of ghastly COVID economy, et cetera, that we find ourselves living in. The things like your peak and stream are picking up because they're less expensive. You're selling more of that. Indeed, yes. Yeah, you do find you do find there's a there's a, a trading down, but but also you know there's um what what we must remember is that people uh, during COVID were also um, trying to get their hands on um, wine. Um, so that they had some kind of stockpile of of wine to to see them through the hard lockdowns and the the prohibitions etc. Um, however, that mm. doesn't that doesn't stop them buying mm. good wine. Lots of people depleted incredible sellers of incredible wine. I know. And, and are, are now, <laughs> I heard some horrifying um, stories. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you you've got sixty fours being drunk and eighty threes being drunk, and you suddenly people were just. Uh, for the heck of it, let's just open this and, and see what, what happens because we don't know what tomorrow really brings. So um, rather than enjoy it now. And so now mm. the amount of requests we're getting for back vintage or and, and the society for us. So I think um, people who uh, during lockdown have have had some incredible sellers and uh, and they've they've uh, they've gone through some incredible wine. They've actually opened some 64s and 83s and, and all of the, the the incredible vintages that they were maybe sitting on, mm-hmm. and uh, and now they're restocking. Um, so so we've got an, an amount of people asking for back vintage gem, back vintage cabernets, and uh, and then asking how long will these things last? Yes. So my answer to that is always I can guarantee you that the cabernet will last twenty three years because we don't have an older one. So if yeah, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty, easy. I've, I've drunk. I've drunk back to 98. It tastes incredible at 98. It's still going. It's still youthful. It's still lively. Mm. And so, um, so, but 24, I'll tell you next year, 20, yeah. 25 years old. So for you, the for you, the, the excitement and the rush of it is the farming aspect, really, because it's farming. Every vintage is different. The, the weather's different. The grapes throw a different story at you. The winemaker might be in a better or worse mood. The temperatures are different. <laughs> so... It is a, a very ever evolving thing. If you were to, if you were to advise somebody going into the industry, um, who bought into a wine farm mm-hmm. and had a little cellar filled with bottles that they needed to get out there onto shelves, what's the best way of doing it in the 21st century? I think um, the, it's an analysis of market, an analysis of um, of uh, price, and the the confidence to charge what the wine is worth in in those markets. Mm. Um, at the moment, I think most people um, are quite comfortable or quite quite um, quite comfortable selling wine under value because. Mm. Um, because the, there is um, there's, there's, there's volume there, but actually, if we are going to change um, the the level of wine that we we sell in terms of perception in the export markets, then then actually we need to to be quite confident about the way we approach that. Now, depending on your your friend who has a wine cellar and has a farm and and wants to sell and what the wine quality is like, um, you know, you've got. You can either take two roads. You can either build the brand and um, and start at a, a good price for that product, or 
you can make the price so lavishly expensive in terms of uh, in terms of price and bring the volume down and make that sort of a cult wine um, by approaching, you know, some influencer with some cash. Mm. So, so it depends on what road you want to take. Yeah. Is, it, is it in a gold? Is it in a gold bottle, Carrie? <laughs> no, I'm just wondering about all the people who have got cellars filled with wine, and mm. I think that everybody's grasping at straws. Personally, I think unless you've got a proper influencer who has got a massive international appeal, I think that you're wasting your money on influencers, so to speak. Um, But that's just my personal opinion. I think that at the end of the day, um, knowledge actually goes a little bit deeper than our current sort of influence in inverted uh, commerce. So if your influencer has done a PhD on wine, then, yeah, that's, that's great. But if you've got an influencer who's sort of selling themselves as as I'm out there and I'll see how many cases of wine I can get sold for you because of the way I look or, or you know the people who I supposedly party with, I don't I don't think that's a sustainable sales model personally. Um, the other thing that I wanted, sorry, I interrupted you. I was just going to say, I was going to say leading back to the, the the previous point about the ebbs and flows of farm life. And living the kind of uh, challenges and the the pitfalls and the challenges, but also the successes and the wins and the, the, the you know the incredible blossoming of, of harvests and the mm. the opportunity every year. Um, the the other thing that's fascinating uh, is um, is the the amount of hats that you must wear and the 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 cultural understanding of um, of why people drink wine why. Do people enjoy uh, socialising around a glass of wine more than they enjoy socialising around, um, uh, you know, another product? Mm. What, what what makes that that moment special? How do we how do we change people's or how do we um, encapture those moments of romance which mm. only a bottle of wine can provide? Why do you think Why do you think it is? It's true, actually. Wine. Wine is very conducive to bringing people together in a party sort of environment. It's also deeply, deeply um, romantic. Most people would order a bottle of wine or, or bubbly for a very romantic evening. I, I don't know of too many guys who, or women who would order a, a beer. A pint of pale ale. Yeah, over their engagement yeah. ring. Hmm? What do you think it is? <laughs> what do you think it is about wine? You know, I think again, um, I, I don't know if it leads back to Greek and Roman times or, or, or what it does, but but certainly, um, you know, wine's always been seen as this this product which is either medicinal or luxurious in terms of um, of, of its use. So, um, I, I think uh, we've done an incredible job of marketing wine around the world, and Bordeaux and Champagne and all those places have done. And a wonderful job of doing that. Mm. And they've really solidified in people's minds that, that wine is this aspirational product which is used for these occasions mm. and is not is, and is not leading to to a political statement is not the kind of binge drink, drinking product mm. which um, which uh, which other 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 heart attacks. Or yeah, I think are. I think we need to make sure that it stays like that. I think it's one of the successes of the sale of wine. Is that it? Is that that's the story that it tells? Yeah. Um, D, going forward, what do you think the trends are going to be in wine drinking? Are you noticing that 
people are looking or asking for different grape varieties yeah. or tell me yeah i think i mean um definitely lighter again we we spoke two years ago <clears throat> about lighter um mm. alcohol um and lighter uh fruitier reds so <coughs> excuse me um and that that still that still sits there um you know the, the trends are still that people are going to be looking for those products and, and whether that is grenache based or um whether that is uh since pinot noir yeah those kind of things um a product which is uh is lower in abv because of um i don't know altitude or or, or, or whatever whatever is driving natural low alcohols what mm. i'm trying to say is and what we don't want is people sort of removing alcohol from wine via osmo- like some no of, uh, <laughs> reverse osmosis exactly, exactly. yeah mm. so um so, so the natural that natural processing is um is huge and so uh, and and in international markets people are constantly looking at um what additives are being used in wine what's the post fermentation um uh usage of um tannins and acids and all those kind of things mm, mm. and um and you know thankfully waterford is, is has always been pretty strong since 2008 we've had no uh acidifications no tannin yes. etc so we've always been strong on um speak allowing the farm uh fruit to speak through the custodianship and and management of the winemaker not that the winemaker then adds and detracts and yes. removes and and supplements etc yeah so so those are those are strong strong trends um, mm. in international so markets. less of less of the alchemy and more of the more of the natural Nat- natural magic yeah yeah, mm. yeah exactly right yeah. Mm. yeah and 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 that's that that will bring i mean that will bring back the interest in wine because only through natural production can you really express what terroir and what climate and what um, environment that that grape has had to endure mm. that year, mm. and that that changes year upon year. Rather than having this consistent product which tastes the same every single year, that, that's not the point. The point yeah. is that wine is ever evolving. I also think that we're moving in a direction, and I know that that Johan um, Rupert has been a great big preponderant of it, and he's put something together, but can't I can't believe that it's taken South Africa so long to introduce something that is akin to appellation control because mm-hmm. appellation control is in essence um, the expression of terroir so for those listeners who aren't living like the rest of us in queer cuckoo land in a wine world appellation control equals a governing body that lays down boundaries for specific designated areas that because of their soil types and climatic conditions and and topography etc are prone to to um, give better wine from a specific grape so in easy man speak Cabernet comes from Stellenbosch Pinot Noir grows particularly well in the Hillmanal Arda you know Franchuk does good Chardonnay so in the rest of the world it's actually law in South Africa, you can plant literally anything that you want, anywhere you like. But it hasn't been clever because, <laughs> because it's produced some absolutely undrinkable wine over the, over the years. It's also produced some seriously good wine, but 
instead of taking cognizance of that and sort of waking up a hundred years ago and saying, guys, we sort of spotted that Cab does really well in Stellenbosch. Maybe we should all be making Cabna in Stellenbosch. They've continued to allow everybody to do whatever they want to do, which is not good for an industry. And I think that that might be one of the big problems um, that has thwarted the growth of this industry internationally, don't you think? Agreed, yeah. I mean, um, I, I, the, the extremely positive part about um, about Appalachian Controle is that um, we have the opportunity in South Africa to really use the best um, tech technical um, assessments to ensure that the, the right grape is in the right space. Yes. Um, whereas when Appalachian Country was in, introduced in... Um, oh, the 1800s. Yeah. So, so, so it, it was trial and error. It was thumb suck and trial and error. Yeah. And, 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 um, and most, a lot of those people have stuck to those varietals and, and because they worked... Mm. Um, and so you find in some areas uh, in, in the con- Appalachian Controle uh, system that you may only grow three grapes or you may only grow seven grapes. And, and if you don't grow those grapes, then your wine declassifies into a van de table instead yes. of, uh, of the Appalachian. So, so introducing something like that here um, would be wonderful, but there, there will be a lot of resistance to it. Yes. Because also what's happened is that while South Africa has has grown some grapes in the right spot, some grapes in the wrong spot. They've grown markets for wines grown in the wrong spot at the wrong <laughs> no, price. Isn't it bizarre? So I, now you have people yeah. who are resistant to grubbing up what is bringing them an income, um, albeit a very small income. But but the grubbing up process means that you must lay the land down and, and have it rest for three, four years mm. before you then replant. And then there's three, four years before your vine starts making young fruit. And then to be an old vine project, for instance, wine, you have to be 35 vi- years of fine age mm. before producing that wine. So so there's a long, I mean, and most people don't think that a vine will make great fruit until at least it's 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. So, mm. Mm. you know, there's a long time to wait for people who have planted, planted the wrong vines yeah. in the wrong spot, <laughs> making bad money to wait until they can pl- plant the right vines in the r- that right spot mm. and make a bit more money. Yeah, it's an so. expensive mistake. Um, so I think there's another lesson to anybody out there who's thinking of going wine farming. Whilst it does afford you the most wonderful lifestyle because farms in the Western Cape are completely beautiful, if you travel the whole world's wine lands, I have mm-hmm. to say yeah. that the Cape is possibly the most beautiful of them all. I'll probably I be mean, shot yeah. down in flames for that, but it is. <laughs> But uh, so it affords you that magnificent, pretty, beautiful lifestyle. But it is a lot more than just the privilege that so many people think it is. There's an enormous amount of time, energy, effort, intellect, all the things that go with it. Dee, lastly, I, I for one, and I'm sure that there must be a couple of people, and as well as I know the Waterford people, they're like family to me, I do not know why they called it Waterford. Oh. That's simple. Um, we are set. If you drive up our driveway on the left-hand side, um, you have the Stellenbosch Mountains, mm. and um, and in front of us the Hildeberg Mountain, which is where our vines are planted. So there's this yes. this, um, this um, shelf that we look upon on the left-hand side, and and um, obviously our financial owner and um, and uh, and the gem 
uh, or Jim is um, is Jeremy Ord, and his surname Ord, and um, Kevin and he were uh, sitting at the front. There was no winery at the time, but sitting at the front, and they were trying to devise a name because this farm was cobbled together from three parcels of land bought from three different farms. So um, the Stutterford, Stellenrust and Stellenzicht farms, all we bought parcels from them mm. and then put this one together. And it was a citrus farm with some grapes on it at the time. And and they were sat looking at this citrus orchard um, and the rains had just come. And the rains create wonderful waterfalls, so single stream waterfalls from that mountain on, on the left as you drive up can be seen after the rains. And so it's a beautiful sight. So mm. and I, and I'm fortunate to have an office that looks looks at it. So, <laughs> so, um, so when they were trying to devise this name, Waterfall was a conversation. Waterford and Jeremy Ord and Waterford yes. became became a name. Okay. And so so that's how it was cobbled together. I mean, much like the farm, it, that's how the, the name came about. I never and, knew um, that. And Kevin... Kevin was always insistent that we we were producing um, estate wines. So, yes. you know, the Waterford estate, the estate part is uh, is really really important to us. Yes. Um, it's important that we um, that we had uh, a, a message out to the world that we make our own, uh, we produce our own grapes, we make our own wine, we bottle it here on site, and then uh, and then uh, we we put it out there and sell it. Hopefully, drink as much of it as you can on site as well. It, it, well, I'm about to go into a tasting, so um, <laughs> so that part's done, yeah. <laughs> it is the, one of the most beautiful farms in the Cape, but really they've done an amazing job of yes. of it, and it has won many, many awards, not least of which um, it won the Sillenbosch, it, it won that Global Wine Tourism Award, which yeah. n- not many, when was that? Was it last year, the year before? I can't remember. It was... Uh, you know, the, the last couple of years have blurred because of, of this. I know, it's uh, ridiculous. It we all got, no, I think it was two years ago. It's a very prestigious award and it's sort of encompassed all that you do at the farm, which, which we haven't even touched on, but you, but it is very sort of eco-friendly. You have a sort of a game drive, really. I don't know what else to call it. You get into like a game vehicle and you go, you go vine spotting. And yeah, yeah, you see the big five. You Only see the big five, and you go to lovely little platforms that have Taste beautiful, beautiful outlook over the sort of bays and the mountains and the vineyards and what have you. And it really is extraordinarily special. How does anybody get hold of you if they want to come? They have to book, don't they, for that? Yeah, we do. Um, uh, there, there is an element of um, of uh, a picnic and lunch and and um, tasting and food and and so on on that drive, and it's it's a it's an experience. So it's a good uh, three hours. Though so I think um, we can we can tailor make it for people. So if it's an Would hour at one deck, for instance, yeah, I think I think um, I think what we've learned through COVID is that we must be able to adapt to people's time frames and needs. And and um, and uh, and make things work for for uh, for our guests. So um, so yes, we book. Um, you can pick us up at um, uh, waterfordestate.co.za um, and um, and on the website uh, there is all the details uh, for that wine drive. There's also wine walks and there's also picnics. We've got the the, the restaurant now we've got a multitude of tastings including a chocolate and wine tasting and a salt pairing tasting and now you've got a um, restaurant there as well 
Yeah, with Craig and with Bo um, from Salt. Yeah, fantastic. And if if all else fails, they can just stand and look at you for the for the whole duration. Damien's gorgeous, guys. He should be the next. (laughs) He should be the next James Bond. He's got that Scottish accent, and I think we're going to put him up as candidate. He's gorgeous. Damien, thank you so much, my sweet boy, for coming (laughs) on to Carrie's Corner and and for always just bringing your sort of perspective, which which has got a nice international slant and it's got a nice Scottish lilt. And have a good weekend. Have a good Women's Day weekend as well. Yeah, um, happy Women's Day, everyone. Uh, My daughter is extremely excited about it being Women's Day because I think she thinks it means she will be spoiled all weekend. Good, uh, and so she should be. She's already spoiled. Exactly. <laughs> I was yeah, going to say, so she should be. <laughs> Damien, thank you so much, darling. Lots of love. Bye-bye. And you. Right, bye-bye. Bye.